All right, let's turn our attention to the NBA. Uh, game five tonight, the scene shifts after that record-breaking performance. The uh, Cavaliers in the first half breaking the record of the uh, uh, Celtics in the Memorial Day Massacre, which I was at as a matter. I don't know if I was there. I was actually at that game. Uh, it's a long time ago. It was before I was time probably. But uh, I, I was actually at that game, uh, working that game. CBS uh, on that Memorial Day Monday and even stayed in Boston until Thursday night when they buried Kareem and he came back with an unbelievable performance in game two. Said he was through after game one and he had 38 points and 16 rebounds in game two when the Lakers won the series on Boston's court in game six. So it tells you how things have turned around. Ira, um, the mood out there as uh, is it more nervous or is it more vengeful for tonight? Like, we're going to pay them back and we're going to make this a celebration and we're going to bury these guys once and for all? Or is it more, gee, what happens if we don't get this done tonight? You know, Mike, it, it's almost a mood of the public face is one of, oh, we just lost one game and, and they had to do everything perfect and get almost every officiating call in that game and we'll win. But i got to tell you, the whole subtext to this, as you could probably figure out and people are thinking – if the Warriors lose tonight, oh, forget it. that's when things start getting really tight. Just like last year, you go back to Cleveland. Obviously, we saw what they did just in the last game. They now don't want Cleveland. any part of that happening. Yeah, and I'm just saying. So, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, we're free. We're loose. We want to do it in front of our fans. The seats are going for incredible prices. But I think they very much feel a pressure. And, again, I think it's much harder to do on the road. J.R. Smith is not the same player on the road. But if the Cavs can step up and put the pressure on them, that's that's the one thing I've doubted all along. And when I, when I watch these games, I say to myself, the Warriors' loosey-goosey style is unbelievably telegenic, and we enjoy watching it. But the moments of truth they never had to deal with this season because they were able to win so easily, and they won every game in the first three rounds. What does this team do when the pressure is on? We saw Kevin Durant in Game 3. And think about this, Mike. If he doesn't hit one of those threes, we might be 2-2 right now, and it's a different series. So I think there is a huge mental strain on the Warriors. And another reason why I think so, I think everyone on the Cavaliers thinks that Draymond Green is about to crack. And I think just like in hockey, when you send out that fourth line and your goons out there to work him up, I would not be surprised if Ty Lue sends out someone he considers quote-unquote expendable to see if he can push that button because you saw it. Not hard to push it, that's for sure. First of all, we never really got to the bottom of that whole situation because in the first half they called that technical foul, at least on television, on Green. And then we hear later, no, it was on Kerr. Well, no one ever said it was on Kerr. And then the next minute, oh, he's out of the game. Oh, no, he's not out of the game. First half technical was on Kerr. The stat sheet said it was on Green that was produced at halftime. The official stat sheet had it on Green. How did the NBA get out of that one? And and that's the thing, Mike. And I want to take people back. It's not just one stat sheet. Stat sheet. Every time there's a timeout in the NBA game, we get what they call flash stats. They hand us a box score. So on each one of those box scores, after that technical was called, it said technical foul Draymond Green. You get about six of those every quarter. You get one at the end of the first quarter, through the second quarter, at halftime. During NBA playoff games, they have an additional alternate referee in case an official gets injured or takes ill who's sitting in another room in the arena. He sees that box score. Everyone in the NBA office gets the box score at the end of a quarter. So I'd probably say 200 people involved in the game saw a Draymond Green technical foul. Then John Goble, working his first playoff series, NBA final series rather, excuse me, 
calls the technical at the end there, and then he goes and he says no. This is the interesting part. Mike, this I can actually buy. When you call a foul on an NBA player, you use finger signals to show his number. If it's a number that's larger yep. than five, sure. you use one hand than the other hand. Yep. Well, there's no signal for a, for a coach. There's no way to, to show it and not verbalize it. So what John Goble said was he called a foul on Draymond Green – but signals a technical on Steve Kerr. But because of the crew, and again, these are all Cavalier scorers, the only person on the scoring table who is neutral in an NBA playoff game is the timer. He's brought in from a third city, so there's no questions about the clock. So the Cavalier staff, of course, willingly and gleefully, they know that they can work without Steve Kerr. Mike Brown's done a good job. They know that Draymond Green being ejected, changed or suspended, changed last year's series. They were as incredulous as anyone. Yes, it probably was a miscommunication, but it might have been the worst officiating look I could think about the NBA, except this was also a game where they called two fouls on just about every Warriors player in the first half also. So it was a very, very curiously officiated game. And it was, and it gave, first of all, they gave a lot of calls, as you knew they would, to Cleveland, which we knew. Okay. We expected that. Number sure. two, games have a habit of going that way. And then they called the most ridiculous flagrant foul on Love, who basically blocked the ball before he ever hit him in the head. That, and then he complained and got a call. And then you got them saying, well, they did that to quiet down all the noise on the court. You can't give a guy a flagrant foul for that reason. No, I mean, that, it was that, like they're making it up as they go along. And that's the thing is they, they were looking for a reason. Once a game gets out of control, it's too late to get it back into control. And yet, I really think tonight they're going to be between a rock and a hard place. One, we don't like fouls. We want to see Clay Thompson and Draymond Green stay in the game. Two, let's face it, if I was Cleveland, I am going to play a chippy, more physical game. That's what they have to do in this series. So I really am curious to see how the officiating staff assigned tonight is going to handle it. I would be very surprised. It's not unusual for the Game 4 officials in an NBA playoff series also to officiate Game 7. I would have grave doubts whether that crew would be brought back after the way that game played out. And I think tonight it's really going to be a case of if there's going to be a flagrant, it will be called early or not at all because it can't impact a game like this. This is a game I think that if the Warriors are who we think they are, they pull what Cleveland did in the first quarter and they stop out to that kind of lead. And I would expect that's what they, Cleveland has to, and that's why they have to control tempo. Lou has to, and I've been on Lou the whole series, but let me give Lou credit for something. We're talking with Ira Windman about the NBA, 3 o'clock WFAN in, it, in New York here on this Monday program. Ira, he said we were – there were two things. One, Cleveland said that Golden State was way too chatty after game three. It annoyed them. Number two, and we know they're chatty all the time. Number two, right. number two, he said – and I'm going to get on LeBron for this in a minute. He said oh, my players were way too friendly to the Golden State players – before game three and game four. And you know what? I agree. And if you're LeBron James, in a series you trail 3 nothing. I don't want to see you. And I go back to the days when the Lakers and the Celtics hated each other during a series. I don't want to see you laughing with Steve Kerr in the middle of the game. I don't want to see you down there during a timeout giggling with Steve Kerr who's beating you 3 nothing in the finals. I don't want to see that. Have an edge. And I agree with Lou. These players were too chummy in this series. 
Well, as we know, because we go back to Pat Riley and what he would allow and wouldn't allow, including helping an opponent off the court or something like that. That's sort of a different era of what it is. LeBron's trying to be everything to everyone. He's tired of being the villain. We know all the stories about how people with the Jordan comparison saying what he is, what he isn't. They're talking about his record in final series if he loses another. So I think he's trying to pay a middle ground of one doing his best for the Cavaliers, showing that he is a preeminent player right now, but he's so caught up in legacy stuff also that I think he's almost trying to be too much in the heat of competition. We want players, even the Stanley Cup, I will try to knock your teeth out until the final whistle. Right. Then I will line up and shake your Absolutely. hands. Fine. Absolutely. That's fine. When the series is over, that's fine. I agree with you. But you know what? If I'm the officials, you know how this works, Mike. There's a hash mark on each side of the sideline. Yep. The coaches can't go beyond that. I am keeping players apart. It shouldn't come down to Dante Jones, who doesn't play being assessed a technical foul because he's drawing with Kevin Durant. But it goes back to what you were talking about in the previous question. The officials can't let that stuff happen. Okay, fellas, move on. You don't need to be here. LeBron, there's no need for you to talk to Steve Kerr. And you're right, Mike. It's not a good look for the league. It's not. Why go with that? There's plenty don't of... Don't get down there giggling interviews. during the game. I mean, yes. my God, that's... And him, him and Kerr, like, having a grand old time. Wait a second. This is the fourth game of the finals. What are you doing? So I, I agree with Lou about that. My guys were too chummy with these guys. And, you know, it's funny. It seems to me that there's a lot of anger, and it's still from last year, there's a lot of anger on the Golden State side towards the Cleveland guys. You can almost sense it. Not just Green, who's crazy, but and he's crazy because he argues about, I mean, I don't care what kind of foul he commits. Too emotional. He, he's, he's lost on the call. Even when it is a foul, he's still, I mean, he's just out of his mind. And that's a, pro- and that's a problem, Mike, and that's, that's a real legitimate thing. This is not oh, over psychoanalysis from a distance or anything like that. He's got to be able to keep himself in the game so he doesn't even get to the line of a first technical foul. I mean, I know a coach like a Pat Riley or someone who was really a disciplinarian probably would have something, if not written into the contract, telling a player like that, I don't want to even think about a technical te- second technical foul because I'm yanking you if you get the first technical foul. Almost like a yellow card in soccer so you don't get yourself ejected. There has to be more self-discipline. But you know what, Mike? It's the loosey-goosey atmosphere that Steve Kerr has fostered after stepping in for Mark Jackson. It's worked. And I think Steve Kerr, his whole thought was, I'm not going to take away from these players what has gotten them now to a chance for a second NBA championship in three years and all these NBA finals. So he goes along with it. Another guy is Steph Curry. I know you talked last week about sort of his antics. And and look, have a good time. It's sports. You should enjoy yourself. I totally get that. But you know what? In the ultimate heated competition of a championship round, this is like a heavyweight championship fight. Have some respect for the event. Yes, yes. Show me that you are going to the the expression that people use every last ounce. Well, if you are going to give every last ounce to the competition, then you shouldn't have any energy for all this other stuff. But this is the intersection of sports and entertainment. And as much as we've had in our day, the whole thing about being a showman, I think, is being taken too far to an extensive way right now with these players. All right, let me get the two things about these teams How annoyed was Golden State that their history was lost, this whole 16-0 perfect? And number two, how relieved was Cleveland that they didn't fall on their sword in their building? 
Well, I, I think Cleveland was relieved by the way the game started and just the fact that they got that first quarter to play out that way. So they were feeling good because, really, the Warriors could have sucked the life out of them if they wanted to. So, look, if Cleveland loses 4-1 as opposed to 4-0, they still know it's not a good look. It's all the talk we've been going on for months that the East is so much weaker than the West. And then you start questioning what other teams the Cavaliers could have lost. I think the history meant plenty to the Warriors. The fact that last season, a year ago, they went for the regular season single things single-season win record, that kind of stuff matters to these guys. They want to be a legacy team. So, yeah, I, I think right now, I don't want to say they're, they're teetering. I think that's too much to say about a team that's ahead 3-1 in a series. But you know what? We always talk about, did they raise that, that element of doubt, that seed of doubt in a series? Mike, I think you'd agree, especially with these infernal two-day breaks between the games, the seed of doubt very much was planted. I'll tell you this, I agree, and I'll tell you this, it's in the back of their mind, but it won't be in the second half. If that game is not a knockout punch in the first mm-hmm. half, yes, that will be a tough second half for them because they'll be thinking, God forbid we have to go back to Cleveland. Back they don't there, want any part where – they don't want any part because the one thing they – when you're up three love, not just that – you don't even want to think of what can happen in a game seven against a team that beat you last year from three, one down. So, I mean, that would be scary for Cleveland, frustrating and scary, very scary. If they get in this and, and I listen, none of us think that Cleveland's that the, the other guys are going to show up enough to give them a chance tonight. I mean, cause right. you know that they'll do anything. I mean, there's been, they've that, that been was, so bad, you know? Yeah. yeah. That was the best. That was LeBron's best game. That was yeah. Kyrie's best game. So when you say they have to bring their best game, no, they probably already bought their best game. The one thing I will say is this, what Ty Lue has been smart enough to do. We talk about pace. People overstate paces running back and forth. What pace is pushing the ball enough that in the half court you have 16, 18, maybe 20 seconds to run through a variety of pick and rolls. And what they have done or did in that one game was surgically give themselves the matchups against Pachulia, against a very slow-footed at this point in his career, David West, against Javon McGee, who's clueless out there, or against Steph Curry. So what they're doing is they're hurrying across midcourt, and then they're setting up individual guys for one-on-one play. Now I want to see something. We've all talked about Steve Kerr stepped in for Mark Jackson, and he got the team, and it's the easiest coaching job. What adjustments for the first time this postseason will the Warriors coaching staff make? Tyloo made his adjustments. He found a way because of the greatness of two players. Tonight I'm going to see a little bit of Steve Kerr. What kind of coaching, what kind of adjustments does he make? Because Mikey does have to make adjustments. Tonight they have to Cleveland's got to have a couple of, on the road, a couple of steadfast rules, and that is they can't be fast and loose with the ball in the front court because they're turnovers, they're layups and threes. And number two, no long threes. The the long threes here, the indiscriminate come up and dribble three by yourself. Like, like Irving likes to do, he can't do here. He cannot do. They have got to be careful to balance the floor on every trip. They can't give them all those runouts. In that building, you can't give them all those runouts. You have to frustrate that part of it. If, you do, if you're going to give them transition offense, I don't think you can beat them in a million years. You've got to cut that transition offense down. You have to. Yeah, like if, you, 
if you're going to say there's five key elements of the game and you're going to say you have to be from one the worst to five the best, Cleveland has to be at a five in almost all those elements. Golden State, because of their depth of talent and options, can probably be a three or a four. Because, again, Cleveland knows which two guys have to dominate. It must be Irving and LeBron. For Golden State, it could be Clay Thompson. It could be Draymond Green. It could be Steph Curry. It could be Kevin Durant. And if it's three of them, it's game, set, and match. Because, like I said, what this series comes down to is this. Which team is going to have two of the top three players in a game? Well, in games one through three, it was Golden State. The top two players in game four were clearly LeBron and Kyrie. They're going to have to do it again, eventually even with these two-day breaks. They're just not going to have that kind of game. But, Mike, I am telling you, and you are spot on, if the seed of doubt returns tonight, then the Warriors are not who we thought they were. Yeah, no, I think it'll be. I think they have to go in and understand that they have got to survive the first quarter. And you know, they can't have someone put. They can't have Golden State put a forty-five on them in the first quarter. I mean, that's the that's the biggest thing. They got to be standing after the first quarter. Have to be. And, and and I think they need to go small right away because that's who they are and what they are. And again, we are seeing the ever shrinking NBA. I know Tristan Thompson finally showed a sign of life. But the Warriors, when they have Pachulia or McGee or even David West out on the court, they are wasting time and biding time. They have something special. And that means Draymond and Iguodala and maybe even Sean Livingston out there with Durant and Curry and Thompson. Put your best players on the court. You've had two days off before this game. You'll have two days off before the next game. Lay it all out on the line. And if you've got to give big minutes to all of them, so what? This is your moment. This is your series. This is when you can do something comfortably without, without having it turn into a stressful situation. Uh, Ira, um, one last one. Do you think that the league, and this would be more the play associate than anything else, do you think they are ready with, with Silver's help and with the play association in concert to take the one and done out of basketball and allow the high school players back into the NBA? It sounded like they really want to do that. Yeah, you know, Mike, and it's going to happen for another reason. There's a fascinating sub-story to this draft. A kid named Terrence Ferguson who didn't want to go to college and wound up playing in Australia this season. And he's been touring around the league. He's in Charlotte today, and he's been offering a story of, we do have a choice. This is another option. Well, I don't think the NBA wants to see players. Obviously, we're, you know, we're aware with Brendan Jennings and Emmanuel Moutier, guys who went yep. to China and did this also. The world is changing right now, and this fourth college is nothing good. What I would like to see is this, is the rule similar to baseball. If you go to college, you must go for two years. You become non-draft eligible. You go in that direction. I said Adam Silver had a great point. He said, what about the Europeans? They don't have to go to college for two years, so if they don't come out at 19, they can come out at 20 anyway. It's an uneven playing field. I think you just got to let them come in and maybe make your minor league a better minor league and not these sustenance salaries of $25,000 a year maximum in the D League. But, yeah, this has to stop. There's too many options now with international players. It, it's like even the college game. I know that Cal loves having his players for one year, developing them, and then he moves on to the next group. But it's just not a good look for college basketball also. I think Adam Silver works with the players. 
They try to get more mentorship involved. They let the players come in. I'd like to see something that if, one, if you don't get drafted, you can go back to college. It'll have agents in the second round. Please don't draft my guy. And maybe even something like hockey. People forget the NHL drafts players, and they still play NCAA hockey. So maybe there's something that they can do that way. There are ways to work around this. And the one thing, unlike David Stern, is I think Adam Silver's a little more progressive, and I think they can find their way around that. Thanks, Ira. Enjoy. Catch you again.